informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Yeah, thanks for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you here. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's show brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, like Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Coming up on today's show, we're going to have a conversation with Jim Sutter. He is the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council and chair of the U.S. Agricultural Export Development Council. He'll join us in segment two. In segment three, we'll get an update on South American weather and how that's impacting the markets with Pedro Deneca, founder and partner at MD Commodities. And later in the show, we'll talk about equipment maintenance post-season with Jim Franceschetti with Case IH. All that and more coming up here today on AOA. First up, though, let's talk with the Illinois Soybean Association Abigail Peterson, Director of Agronomy with the Illinois Soybean Association, joining us here today. Abigail, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. First off, I know that uh, the Illinois Soybean Association has uh, been doing some really great stuff, uh, doubling its research investment for fiscal year 2024. Very exciting news. Can you just talk about that for us uh, in general a little bit? Obviously, make it a big commitment here to uh, look at research for the Illinois Soybean Association. Yeah, definitely. So Illinois is the number one soybean producing state in the U.S. And so we're very proud of that, as well as feeling the need to lead the way in a lot of these research initiatives that come with soybean production. Um, There are always challenges with any cropping system. And so soybeans is a fun challenge to be able to work on, you know, everything from looking at IPM needs, diseases, insects, pests coming down the line, things like red crown rot to um, stem desic bore, all the way into, you know, different type of management systems with nutrient applications. What's really going to advance and enhance your systems so you make every Every year, the best year, um, as well as understanding how to make a more resilient system. You know, we see a lot of different adverse weather effects that um, each cropping year comes with. You know, this year with the drought was a big one. Some years we have where the rain won't shut off. So um, it's really building how we can be less risk um, and more resilient in those years with our management tactics. And so our research encumbers all of that, as well as scoping regionally across the state. So Illinois is a very large state as far as from north to south. It it does not look the same. So we have to address concerns regionally and make sure that each farmer feels that their checkoff is working for them. Thinking about some of the agronomic challenges that are out there, you highlighted some diseases and you mentioned just how big the state of Illinois is. And so, you know, you think about maybe one challenge for farmers in northern Illinois is going to be different than farmers in southern Illinois. And obviously you alluded to it, Illinois, the number one soybean producing state. And there's so many different challenges out there, whether we're talking pest diseases or just agronomic you know, issues in general. So There's a lot uh, with how big the state is, Abigail. There is so much that really needs to be looked at, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah. We talk about white mold up in Northern Illinois and down in Southern Illinois, they're double cropping beans. And um, it's it's so interesting. It makes uh, the agronomy team's job here at ISA uh, exciting because 
it, it doesn't look the same and, and every year comes a new challenge. And um, yeah, definitely there are things that span across the state that can be similar. You know, we all have a focus on better water quality, uh, soil quality and issues that arise, but how we address those problems need to fit for that farmer. So um, that's kind of the challenging part and where we can really come in with our partners that we work with. We work closely with the University of Illinois, um, as well as other colleges and universities across the state, Western, SIU, to, to really hone in those researchers into those areas to expand their knowledge base with the farmers and the studies that they're conducting, um, as well as hope hope engage farmers with those researchers and giving them feedback of this is what our problems are, you know, um, what would you do in this situation type of thing. So we really like connecting the experts, the boots on the ground to the farmers. Um, it's one of the uh, joys we have in this position. Is there one issue in particular that you were excited to have the team looking at here as far as uh, issues moving forward for soybeans in Illinois? Maybe it's a disease or a pest pressure. And this could uh, roll into my next question too, as far as looking at some of the various research projects that have been selected for fiscal year 2024. So maybe I can combine the two a little bit. What's your thoughts with some of the things you're looking forward to see researched as we move into the new fiscal year? Definitely. Yeah. And I'm not going to do it justice. So I'm already going to plug lsoyadvisor.com has all of the research projects listed as well as sure. um, information that you can find them all because there's just too many to even choose one favorite. Um, <laughs> but to kind of high level and run down some that are very interesting and some are continuing year after year, um, which we all know in agriculture research is important to gain understandings and insights for management. Um, so Dr. Andrew Marganat at the University of Illinois is studying um, a lot of the um, soil and water quality impacts in the climate smart space um, and looking into the footprints of what that is for Illinois soybean farmers. That's something that's very interesting in the space of climate smart and what has been heard in the countryside for carbon opportunities. Um, we're really focused on the science behind uh, the practices. And so working with the university researcher, Andrew Marganat, is really exciting. Um, jumping over into weed control aspects and different herbicide issues, Dr. Aaron Hager at the University of Illinois is working with us on looking at injury potential with very early planted soybeans all the way to herbicide resistance issues that we have within um, our group 15 herbicides with water hemp, um, a problem that every farmer can relate to um, across the state. And so those ones are very interesting. We have interest in the wheat double cropping system. Jessica Rukowski, also a um, researcher at the University of Illinois, is looking more into the economics and production opportunities of double cropping systems um, in those, those avenues. Um, Nathan Johanning, a University of Illinois Extension a commercial educator is looking into mm -hmm. different planting and rates applications of cover crop um, mixes and different species. So that one's very interesting. So many go, so many projects going on, um, even from the retailer space and engaging retailer outreach and education. It, it really spans no bounds with uh, where we have tried to address every need in the state. Abigail, before we let you go, too, I know we're wrapping up fall harvest across much of the country. And as you've talked with producers and looked around the state of Illinois, how have things gone this year? How are things wrapping up? Is it better than expected? About what was expected? Can you give us a just an overview of what you've seen throughout the state this year? 
you know, if you asked me this question earlier in the year, I would have been a little more pessimistic um, and negative just seeing how dry conditions were emergence issues that we had. And then when the rains did come, a lot of diseases that did take off um, in some poor looking fields. But harvest wise, across the board, I've had farmers be very positive and were very pleasantly surprised of the yields that came in for the year, even above average on some fields, but definitely meeting averages that we would have um, across the state. You know, I know down from Southern Illinois, we had a call with SIU this morning. They're all wrapped up with harvest down there and up in Northern where I'm at in Bureau County, still a lot of corn in the field, some soybean fields. Um, and so we're, we're just now fighting the, the dampness and the moisture and wanting to get back in. But um, hopefully we can wrap up within a good couple of weeks and, and call it a, a good harvest for this 2023 season. Learn more ilsoyadvisor.com. With that, Abigail Peterson, Director of Agronomy, Illinois Soybean Association. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right, up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with Jim Sutter from the U.S. Soybean Export Council right after this. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around. Reinforcing your messages with your kids, 
and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And AOA Agriculture of America today brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. You can find your nearest Cenex location. If you can't find it right around the corner, you can do so online, Cenex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, joining us now here on AOA, pleased to have with us the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council and the chair of the U.S. Agricultural Export Development Council. Jim Sutter is with us on the show today. Jim, it's great to talk with you and have a conversation. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Jesse. Good to be on here with you. Well, and I know you are a busy guy traveling uh, overseas in Asia right now, so uh, I'm sure the, the time difference is quite great, so glad we could connect here today live on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here, Jim, and I know uh, the big thing I wanted to start with in our discussion here just a, a week or so ago, we saw the announcement of $1.3 billion uh, from the Commodity Credit Corporation uh, for a new export Promotion and Foreign Market Development Program, the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program, or RAP, from USDA. Uh, talk about this uh, new announcement from the Department of Agriculture and what it could do for uh, export promotion and more here for U.S. agriculture, Jim. Well, sure, Jesse, I'd love to talk about that. And I can just say, I think for all of the members of the USAEDC, that uh, that long name that I have, I'm currently the chair of that organization, which represents all of the various commodities uh, for which there are cooperator groups. So everything from uh, almonds to wheat and all of the kind of commodities in between there. Uh, so there's 76 different commodities or maybe even a couple more represented. So all of us have been uh, doing international marketing work for years. And for quite some time, there's been a recognition that there needs to be, there's an opportunity if we had more money available in the FMD and the MAP programs to do even more international marketing work. Those funds that we currently had been receiving hadn't been uh, touched or hadn't been changed since back to 2004. And I think we all know that in 2024, a dollar isn't worth the same amount that it was in 2004. So that's so for some time, uh, commodity groups, all the groups that do the lobbying have been requesting an uh, increase the FMD and MAP programs to allow all the commodity groups to do more international marketing work. That's been difficult to do. You know, every time there's a farm bill discussed, it's hard to find new money to be able to do that sort of thing. So we were so pleased when uh, Secretary Vilsack announced this program. You know, he'd kind of been given some guidance, I think, from people in Congress that maybe this was a good thing to do. Secretary Vilsack uh, spent some time uh, at the helm at the U.S. Dairy Export Council, so he's familiar with these programs. But I think everybody knows how important agriculture exports are for our farmers and ranchers and uh, all the different kind of commodity producers that we have, whether they're producing Atlantic uh, 
or Alaskan salmon or uh, apples in the Pacific Northwest. We need to be able to do this export promotion. So essentially, this funding that was announced is kind of like, if you do the math, it's just a little more than the doubling of the MAP and the FMD program, if you spread it over five years, that the, the groups that do the lobbying have been asking for for numerous years. So we are thrilled that that's there. There was a study done recently that tells you that for every dollar that goes into these kind of uh, export promotion programs, uh, mm-hmm. you get $24.5 increase in value in the exports. So it seems to be an excellent investment. So we were thrilled that it was announced. Well, and you mentioned the MAP and FMD programs. And for folks who maybe are are vaguely aware of what those are, MAP, Market Access Program, FMD, Foreign Market Development Program, and now we're talking about RAP as well, the new program here from USDA, the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program. And Jim, largely, maybe you can, for folks who may be vaguely aware of what all these programs do, mm-hmm. it all comes back to promoting U.S. ag products around the world. That's kind of a a surface, high-level definition of what these programs do, isn't it? That is a very good high-level definition of what they do. And, you know, clearly organizations do it differently in different markets because there are different needs in different markets. And the other thing that's important in in the way that these funds work is They're matching funds. So the organization, the groups that, for example, our organization that represents the soybean industry, farmers and and exporters, we have to have our own matching funds. So we have to have our own funds to begin with. And then these funds that are made available from the government are matching funds to go along with our own funds that we're investing. So it's a a public-private partnership. And I know, um, I, I believe it, but I have heard the administrator of the Foreign Agricultural Service at USDA talk about what a unique and wonderful public-private partnership the MAP, FMD, and now the RAP programs are because it combines uh, the, the, you know, the, the know-how and the interest of the farmers and the, the ranchers, et cetera, themselves and the groups that represent them together with some additional funding from the U.S. government. And we work closely with the Foreign Agricultural Services offices around the world as we do this as well. All the programs that we implement utilizing these funds, they go through an approval mm-hmm. process. So they're, they're kind of vetted by the experts that the Foreign Agricultural Service has living and working around the world. So you're exactly right. It's to help us promote agricultural products to grow exports for U.S. ag uh, around the world. We're talking with Jim Sutter, the chair of the U.S. Agricultural Export Development Council and the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council here today on AOA. And Jim, as we think about uh, growing these various export markets, uh, we hear a lot of talk about growing demand in Southeast Asia, Africa, a lot of different places around the world looking for U.S. commodities. Uh, What's top of mind for you as we look to grow export markets and also continue our lasting partnerships here around the world as we're getting close to the end of the year we're moving into 2024 what are some of the uh the countries uh, markets that are top of mind for you as we move into a new year well that's a really hard question because we've got so many good markets around the world but i think you touched on a couple of them you know southeast asia is a dynamic rapidly growing spot uh, young populations, uh, people that want to improve their standard of living, which generally means in, 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 you know, in 
consuming more food, having a little bit higher income that they can spend on food, and that means that they're going to want to buy more. They will likely import more agricultural products to be able to produce that food. So those are going to be great markets, and they're going to be markets that will be growing right now. I think those are going to be kind of quick markets, and we're seeing growth happening. Vietnam, uh, Philippines, Indonesia have all been real success stories for the soybean industry, but I know many other commodities as well. You also mentioned Africa. Africa is one that I tell people is more a market that maybe if, you know, if we take a soybean farmer to Africa, take them to Nigeria where we're doing some work, I tell them this may be the market that your son really has or your son or your daughter when they're farming have a real good market in because it's not going to turn into a huge market, in my opinion, next year. But I think 10, 15, 20 years down the road, there's going to be a lot of business done into Africa because there, I believe there are going to be thriving economies there. There's going to be a lot more demand. So there's both of those kind of markets around the world that we, we should be working on. And the other markets we shouldn't lose sight of are our, you know, our longstanding mature markets, Japan, Korea, the EU, Mexico, big markets for U.S. agricultural products. And we've got such great messaging to talk about with the sustainability, the great way that our U.S. farmers produce crops, whatever those crops are. We generally have a wonderful sustainability message uh, and facts behind that to be able to tell people around the world. And that is a big advantage versus some of the competing exporters that we work with. So that's a good thing. And generally, the quality of U.S. Mm -hmm. products is very good. So we got great products, got a good sustainability message, and we've got a wide variety of types of markets to be working in. Well, Jim, we got about a minute here before we let you go. A any final thoughts you would okay. share uh, to wrap up our conversation? Great thoughts today. Any anything final you would share with us or reiterate? Well, I guess I would just reiterate this. Uh, I mentioned sustainability briefly, and I think the U.S. Uh, really has a great message there. And I know sometimes when I talk with producers, they kind of scratch their heads and say, well, that's just what we, that's how we farm. And that's what we do. And I know that. So, but I just like to reiterate for your listeners, not everybody knows that people around the world, they, you know, COVID I think caused people to be more concerned about where's my food coming from? How's it produced? Mm -hmm. Is, is it going to be degrading the environment? So the more that our farmers can continue to help all of us in the export world to be able to talk about that, and even demonstrate that with some data, it's going to help U.S. agriculture demand. So thanks to the producers who help us with that. Well, we appreciate the time. Jim Sutter with the U.S. Ag Export Development Council and U.S. Soybean Export Council. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Jesse, thanks for the opportunity. Have a good day. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Pedro Deneca from MD Commodities here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Back with more after this. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. 
It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and soy products are higher this morning. Meal and beans are sharply higher. Wheat and corn are up a few pennies themselves. Now, rains will fall in parts of northern Brazil starting today, which will aid soil moisture in the driest 20 to 25 percent of soybean and corn growing areas. Drier weather is likely next week, however. In southwestern Brazil and southeastern Paraguay, meanwhile, dry weather is expected this weekend, though in two weeks, rains are expected. U.S. harvest continues to chug along as well with 85% of the beans in the bin at the start of the week. That's up from the prior five-year average of 78%. About 71% of the corn crop has been harvested. That's as of Sunday, ahead of the 66% for this time of year. Winter wheat plant in the U.S. is close to completion at 84%, and that's just behind the normal 85% for this time of year. 64% of that crop has emerged on par with average. Chinese soybean crush totaled 1.94 million metric tons last week. That's down 2.2 million from the previous week, but still a solid number similar to what we saw for much of the third quarter. This suggests that the feed demand remains strong in China, despite rumors of African swine fever creating panic liquidation in the hog herd. ASF does appear to be increasing again, as it always does this time of year, with this year's variant thought to be a bit stronger than last year's. Now, that has led some farms to sell pigs early, mostly small and medium-sized farms, but we aren't seeing any evidence of anything beyond that at this point. Stock futures are also receiving a boost from a weaker-than-expected monthly jobs report this morning, fueling additional speculation that the data moves us closer to a policy pivot by the Federal Reserve. Now, Fed fund futures are trading less than 11% odds of a rate hike by January. That's down from 28% odds yesterday and down from 47% odds of a month ago. And crude oil prices are about a half a buck off after getting a boost from the jobs data this morning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, right now we want to get an update on South American weather and how that is impacting the market trade. Joining us now, Pedro Dedeca, founder and partner at MD Commodities. And Pedro, it's great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well. 
Always a pleasure, Jess. Thanks for having me on board, man. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's dot some eyes here regarding South America. This is the uh, crazy talk uh time of the year for south america so yeah definitely <laughs> definitely well educate us get us up to speed because i'm hearing everything from heavy rains in southern brazil and argentina's had dryness and we've seen heat in parts of central brazil as well and so i'm just i'm hearing a lot of chatter so get us up to speed frame this up for us what exactly is going on as far as planting season here early planting in south america right now Absolutely. So, you know, uh, everything you mentioned just now, I mean, it's happening. The South, it's been quite wet. Uh, our offices are in Paraná State, which is the uh, third state. If you start counting from the bottom up, so you got Rio Grande do Sul, the southernmost state, Santa Catarina, then you have Paraná. The, uh, these are, especially Paraná and Rio Grande do Sul, uh, are fighting for the crown of, I guess, the silver medal of the second largest producer of soybeans in Brazil after Mato Grosso. You know, you have to always understand, you have got to have perspective. You got to have a context, right? When, when we say, oh, it's too wet in the South. Sure. But at what stage of planting are they? Where exactly are the rains happening, et cetera, et cetera. So again, you know, rains at this stage are not going to bring uh, permanent damage. You know that very well. We know that. The listener knows very well. We've experienced uh, years in the United States where we had incredibly wet June and, and beginning of July even, and uh, the crops turned out okay or even much better than okay uh, when very few of us expected that, right? So I think we have to learn from history and understand some of the impacts that happen uh, depending on the time of the year and depending at the stage of crop development. So for right now, planting is a little bit behind pace. Uh, Brazil is right around 50% planted right now for soybeans. So again, still have about half of the soybean crop to be put on the ground. The weather is non-threatening overall. What I mean by that is, sure, we've had delays. Um, we've had some replant happening in, in other areas of Brazil due to dryness. So, you know, the south it's too wet. Well, other areas, Mato Grosso, for instance, uh, too dry. And it, it hurts some producers that planted early, trying to get an ideal window for their second cotton crop or even the second corn crop. Mm -hmm. And the rains didn't pan out. So now they have to replant. What that means is that um, the ideal window for safrinha corn is um expiring if you will it's it's you know slowly getting phased out so that's going to put more pressure uh on late march and early uh late march early april and really even late april rains to close out the second corn crop or safrinha crop with good yields but that's a conversation for months down the road sure when yeah. we talk about sure. soybeans right now jesse is that's why i go back to say it's for the majority, non-threatening. So, sure, some replant, no problem. The reality is, is that the ideal planting window in Brazil for soybeans for over 70% of the country, because you have some other different regions, and I'll explain that here in a little bit, but for over 70% of the country, the ideal planting window is going to be between October 10th and November 10th. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so all this talk about the late planting, you got to be very cautious, got to put context behind it. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you did give us context in that because especially in this soybean market here worldwide, a lot of chatter about tight U.S. supplies. There's mm-hmm. chatter out there about Argentina, you know, with the couple of years of drought they've had, not necessarily having enough beans to crush. And so folks might be coming mm-hmm. to the U.S. for more beans to crush. There's there's a lot of talk around this soybean market, I think, overall, with just some of the tight supplies around the world right now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Share your thoughts. I would definitely not put the expression tight supplies in world in the same sentence. Okay. By any means, no way. No, and I'm not, this is not to correct you. Uh, you made a, you, this a very, very great question, but I'm giving you my perspective. In no way, shape or form do we have tight supplies in the world. No way, shape or form. You just, you pull out a chart of, of stock, uh, uh, world stocks, and, you know, stock usage ratios, what has happened is that the market's still very U.S.-centric, very U.S.-centric. And everybody's all up in arms now, you know, the meal market last week. Oh, my goodness, we're tight. No, we're not tight. Oh, the U.S. is exporting the most it's exported, you know, in, in, in the last five, six, seven years. Okay, great. That's very good for the U.S. But, again, context. The U.S. is exporting half of what Brazil and Argentina are exporting meal. Now, uh, you know, a, an uptick in meal exports. Let me ask you something, Jesse. The U.S. is supposed to crush a lot more beans in the next few years, mm-hmm. right? When you crush for oil, what do you have left over? What makes up two-thirds of the grain of the, of, of the oil seed? It's meal, not oil. So if you're crushing for oil, you're going to have a lot of meal left over. And so the, the, the issue here is, number one, the market... You have trading stories. So this, what you just described in your question is a trading story for right now because the market has really nothing to trade on. Mm-hmm. So traders want to trade, right? Uh, newsletter writers want to write about something. You know, they want to tell their clients something. Well, the reality is there's really not much to talk about at this point. If there was really tightness in the world, I'm going to tell you something right now. This is what you need to watch. If really things were tight, who is the largest producer by far and the largest exporter now exporting almost double what the U.S. exports? That's Brazil. Yeah. Right? So that's your main focus. That's your main market. And I'm telling you that right now, <laughs> the market is far from tight. Why? Because local bases in Brazil are a dollar under Chicago. One dollar under Chicago. Does that tell you it's a tight market? It's not. It's simply the world, you know, the, the buyer is saying, look, beans are not worth $14, $13, $50, $13. They're right now, in our eyes, worth right around 12 And oh, by the way, Brazil has a pretty decent crop, which, yeah. again, um, nothing that's happening here in planting can come to us and say, oh, the crop is, gonna, is not going to be any good. No. Now, weather in late part of November, full month of December, and first part of January – that's that's it right there. That's what you need to pay attention to. That's your July, early August equivalent right there. That's that's what's going to dictate the size of the Brazilian crop. Not now. And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, traders want to trade. Again, analysts, newsletter writers, media, they want something to write about. There's nothing really to talk about. There's absolutely no tightness in the world. Now, could there be tightness in spots? Certain spots in the U.S., certain regions, certain markets, of course. Sure. But that's what I said at the beginning. World, to, to say tight supplies in the world in the same sentence right now, absolutely not. 
fascinating thoughts. And you said something there too that I, I want to ask you as well about the corn market because you mentioned the soybean market is still U.S. centric to some degree. Would you say the right. corn market is still U.S. centric to some degree around the world? It is and it shouldn't be. Even though the U.S. is by far the largest producer, what folks are, are, are I'll give you an example. You can go back to my Twitter page and um, go back about, I don't know, 12 to 15 months, 12 to 16 months, and look at some of my tweets regarding corn. Just do a filter. Corn, you know, on the posts I've made, corn in the last couple of years, last year and a half. I was pounding. I mean, I was trying to be as loud as possible on Twitter, trying to just give guys a heads up, give folks a heads up. The USDA has been so wrong about U.S. exports. And I said it, this was in May of 2022, when they came out with their first estimate for 22-23 corn exports. I said it very clearly, very loudly. These export numbers are completely out of reality. They were at the time using 2.4 billion bushels. And I said, not only is it going to be below 2 billion bushels, it's probably going to be closer to 1.7. People thought I was crazy because I was at the time talking about a 700 million bushel miss by the USDA. Well, guess what? They missed it by that and more. They missed it. Why did they miss it? Again, it's just a lack of ability to analyze the market as a whole. Everybody was so focused on, all oh, the Black Sea War, the uh, Ukraine is going to export less, and that ex those exports are coming to the U.S. No, they're not. U.S. is not competitive. You are forgetting that Brazil was extremely competitive, and now, by the way, while the Black Sea War was happening, Brazilian production went from 85 to 117 million metric tons. Brazilian exports went from 20 million metric tons to 42 in one year. Why? Brazil is way more competitive. And folks don't get that. So I'm still seeing analysis right now. Like, oh, U.S. corn exports are wrong again for next year. They're mm -hmm. wrong again. And they say, oh, Brazil could still have a drought in Safrinha and the Safrinha production could be lower. I agree. That could happen. The window is not going to be ideal. So production in Brazil, for instance, could go from, say, 137, which was the record this year. We could go right back to, oh, by the way, the second highest, which was right around 117. So say Brazil loses 20 million metric tons in production. Well, guess what? If Argentina doesn't have another drought, which doesn't look like they will, right, with El Nino coming, they could have a strong year. Argentina corn production could go from somewhere in the low 30s, high 20s, back to the 50s. And oh, by the way, that means that Argentina next year could actually surpass the U.S. as the second largest exporter of corn in the world. You could have Brazil 1, Argentina 2, U.S. 3, with Ukraine right behind. And so what folks don't grasp or they don't understand, you know, they, you want to talk about corn, U.S., 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 no. U.S. is no longer the main export. It's by far not the main export market in the world. The U.S. is now the residual supplier of corn and soybeans in the world. And the sooner folks understand that, the better their risk management is going to be and the more successful they're going to be. That's my take. Well, thanks for the time. I know folks can follow you on Twitter or X as it's called now at PhD Chicago with that Pedro Deneca, founder and partner at MD Commodities. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back with more here on AOA Agriculture of America brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel on the way right after this. Kids across America are going to school hungry millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. 
With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now. Cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately one day victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every 2 men and one out of every 3 women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory learn more at v.org don't give up don't ever give up this is around the table where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership today we're talking with john wetzel lubricants quality assurance manager for chs about fall maintenance tips after harvest John, why is it important for farmers to have a fall maintenance plan and what should it include? After fall harvest is completed, most farm equipment will be put away in storage until spring, which provides a good opportunity to perform preventative maintenance that will ensure equipment is ready when needed before spring planting. One important part of maintenance is checking fluids and filters, ensuring those fluids and filters are in good working order and changed as needed. Well, what maintenance projects are often overlooked and why? One important component of a good equipment maintenance plan that is often overlooked is used oil testing. A good used oil testing program is going to help you catch equipment issues while they're still small and repairable before they get out of control and result in a major equipment failure. Well, John, how can farmers get started conducting used oil analysis? Starting a used oil analysis program is straightforward with lube scan used oil analysis kit. You can get a loop scan kit through your local Senex lubricants representative, and many Senex dealers and CHS cooperatives sell these simple to use loop scan kits, which contain everything including a sample bottle and information form needed for sending a sample in for lab analysis. Once the sample is collected, you can simply drop it in the mail using the provided package. So how can the loop scan used oil program benefit farm operations? Used oil analysis can help determine the condition of your equipment's engine, transmission, other components, and alert you to developing issues that can lead to a costly breakdown. We cannot determine the condition of the inside of an engine, for example, by simply looking at the outside of it. A used oil analysis is really the only way to get a look inside your equipment without taking it apart. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit uncommonfarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. 
And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, powered by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, as harvest season is getting close to the finish line, we got to think about putting our equipment away in the machine shed here for the winter months in many places. And we want to talk about some of that postseason equipment inspection and maintenance. Joining us to do that here today, Jim Francisetti, Case IH Parts and Service Product Manager is with us. Jim, great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Jesse. Happy to be here. Thanks. All right. Well, let's talk about this. And, you know, I know a lot of folks are still rolling along pretty quickly. You and I were talking off the air. Uh, your neck of the woods there in Wisconsin still got uh, some corn harvest going here, about a quarter of uh, corn harvest left in your area. But soon folks are going to be done. Some folks may already be done and they got to be looking through their equipment and uh, getting ready to put it in storage until uh, next spring. So, Let's talk about some equipment inspection maintenance tips. Uh, what are some of the key highlights for you? Where would you start as far as uh, taking a look at things before we put it away for the winter? Sure. I always recommend starting with a, a good thorough cleaning. Uh, you certainly want to be working and inspecting and maintaining a clean piece of equipment. So I uh, definitely don't want to put anything back in storage or in the barn uh, that's uh, run through the fields and hasn't been uh, you know, dusted off with uh, an air compressor um, is usually a good recommendation. Uh, blowing off any of the dirt and debris uh, that's collected over harvest. Um, you really, your goal is to deter any critters or rodents in considering making that thing a, a home over the winter months. Um, and also to just make sure that it's clean so there's no potential for uh, moisture buildup. You know, if there is some grain or there is some debris left on the, the combine or the tractor or the piece of equipment, um, you just want to make sure that you get it as clean as possible because that's going to help deter those rodents from making it a home. Uh, also help prevent any condensation, corrosion, or rust issues. Definitely want to also consider cleaning the cab. Again, just a general practice and a good recommendation to make sure that area is clean. I think more often than not, that's the area that rodents will attempt to make a home. So making sure that that cab is clean and there's no uh, you know, residual food or, or anything like that that would uh, uh, bring their attention to, to get in there. Um, I would recommend not using a pressure washer, mm -hmm. um, you know, wa uh, washing the, the piece of machinery with water. You don't want to get into any electrical components. Um, and again, uh, just increasing that moisture. Um, and then also consider as part of your thorough cleaning, you know, looking to uh, touch up any scratches uh, or dents or, you know, any abrasions on the equipment. Uh, and even, you know, touching up with paint just to make sure that you're prohibiting any rust from forming. What about uh, maintenance checks? Uh, what what should we be thinking about there, Jim? 
Sure. Uh, well, I'm always going to recommend that they uh, dust off their operator's manual. Uh, there's certainly a, a, a lot of helpful tips and uh, service intervals and post-harvest maintenance procedures uh, contained within the operator's manual. It's a great place to start and kind of will walk you through uh, everything you should be doing at the end of the season before you put in, put it into storage. Um, some of those including, you know, what uh, oil and filters to change, uh, what to be greasing, making sure that you're checking all grease points. Um, and then also, in addition to using the operator's manual, uh, before you put it away for storage, um, you know, let it run. Let it sit there and run for a little bit and use your senses. You know, see if you uh, see anything, smell anything. Uh, those Using your senses is really a good sign to see if, you know, maybe a bearing's out of whack and you're creating some some extra heat or, uh, you know, just using your senses to see if you smell anything funny. Those often mean that something needs to be inspected, looked at, and potentially replaced. Jim, what about just overall wear and tear? I would have to think, you know, checking tires, looking around a piece of equipment and looking at an engine and, and everything. I would imagine just general wear and tear inspection is probably a big key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important to do that right away. You know, while things are fresh in mind, you can uh, think back about your harvest and, you know, sort of make some mental notes um, and, and really do kind of a front to back inspection of the piece of equipment, speaking specifically, you know, to combines, looking at your header, anything that's engaging the crop, you know, if it's a, a knife guard or a cutting part. Um, and, you know, in through the feeder house, all your belts and chains and bearings, just to make sure that everything uh, looks like it's in good shape. And if it isn't, you know, certainly, uh, you know, at the very least, making a mental note um, to consider replacing that to get yourself set up and prepared uh, for next season. I, I hate to to leave things the chance. And I think the operators would agree. It's, it's always a good practice to take care of things as they're top in mind. Um, and additionally to that, you know, also consider uh, speaking with your Case IH dealer. Um, you know, a lot of dealers will offer inspection programs. So bringing your combine in or having them come to the, uh, the farm or the operation to look over, you know, they see a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of combines, a lot of pieces of equipment. They know the ins and outs and you can sort of trust them as the expert. Jim, how about as we're getting ready to put things away for the winter months, what should we think about as far as storage prep? Sure, I would uh, definitely consider a, a fully charged battery. And if you can disconnect the battery and store it somewhere that isn't as susceptible to, you know, significant uh, temperature um, changes, you know, that's just going to extend the life of the battery and make sure that, um, you know, it's, it operates as efficiently as possible. Um, also consider a, a full fuel tank uh, with some fuel stabilizer. Um, you don't want any condensation building up and getting into the line. So having a, a full fuel tank will prohibit that from happening. Jim, what about uh, engine oil too? I should ask that with storage prep. Do we want to maybe top off that engine oil too with uh, doing the gas as well? Yeah, yes, sir. You definitely want to uh, consult the operator's manual and, and in there it'll say to make sure that it's full of fuel, uh, that the oil has been changed and topped off. What else, uh, anything else final that you would want to uh, share as tips here before we uh, put stuff away for the winter months? What what else is on your checklist? Yeah, I always like to, to recommend, uh, as I stated earlier, you know, just considering how the harvest went immediately after the fact that it happened. And, you know, if you do an inspection on the farm and you notice that 
Uh, you do need to replace some parts to, to keep a journal, make some notes, and take care of it now. Uh, you know, why wait till after? You know, it's, it's one less thing you have to worry about when you're getting ready for next season. So uh, just addressing the issues, looking over the equipment, and doing everything, you know, after the season at, at, when it's top of mind, uh, is just going to set yourself up for success for the following year. All right, we're out of time. Jim Franceschetti, Case IH Parts and Service Product Manager. Thanks for joining us today on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov.